Manganese is a trace element in our water supply that is neurotoxic at high doses. How much manganese is too much, and what are the implications on human health? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is Dr. John Spangler, Professor of Family Medicine and Director of Tobacco Intervention Programs in the Department of Family and Community Medicine at the Wake Forest University School of Medicine. Dr. Spangler, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, I don't think much of us know much about manganese, so can we start with just an intro to what it is? Well, as you said, manganese is a trace element. It's actually essential for human health. It's involved in a number of enzymatic processes like manganese superoxide dismutase. It's a metal. It doesn't occur in pure form in the environment, but it generally exists as oxides, sulfates, chlorides, and those kinds of compounds. It is necessary for health, as I mentioned, but at high doses can be toxic. One thing I do always like to point out is that people often, not so much scientific folks or physicians, often will confuse manganese with magnesium. Sure. They are very different compounds, and we need quite a bit of magnesium in our diet. Where is manganese normally found in our environment? Manganese occurs naturally in rock formations. It can also occur in surface water and groundwater. So there are a variety of sources at which we can be uh, exposed to manganese. More and more, there's environmental exposures from manganese from human activity, for example, from metal processing and a new additive to gasoline called MMT that replaced lead as an anti-knock agent. So we've replaced one thing and created another potential problem. Unfortunately, that's the case with manganese because it does have health effects. Lead obviously had health effects and it was a good thing to replace it, but one wonders whether we've replaced one toxin with another, just as you said. What do we know about manganese once we get it in our bodies? How much is too much? And then how do you kind of balance that line of of just getting the right amount of manganese? Do we measure manganese on our patients? We typically do not measure manganese on our patients because most people are not exposed to excessive amounts of manganese. But, you know, there is a dose at which there is toxic effects, and that actually varies by individual. Manganese is taken up from the diet by the same mechanism that iron is absorbed. There's this metal transfer within the intestinal tract that takes up iron, also happens to take up manganese. Manganese is excreted exclusively by the liver, So folks with liver disease would not excrete manganese normally. Also, unfortunately, folks who are iron deficient are more avid absorbers of manganese because their transport mechanism is revved up to absorb iron. So pregnant women, for example, who are relatively iron deficient often will absorb more manganese from a given intake than a woman who's not pregnant. Other iron-deficient individuals will also increase their manganese intake. And unfortunately, and this is always the case in toxicology, children are susceptible to manganese intoxication because, first of all, they have immature excretion mechanisms, and secondly, their brain-blood barrier tends to be a little bit more open 
to the manganese ion. You mentioned the brain, and I know that you, you did a study or you co-authored a study that looked at olfactory exposure to manganese by putting patients in showers that had a lot of manganese in the water. So what happened in the study? Tell me a little bit about that study. Well, this study was based on some calculations done by Dr. David Dorman and his colleagues who work in Research Triangle Park. They exposed mice and rats to manganese aerosols through only one nares. They occluded the other side of the nose and left only one side of the nose open and had the rodents breathe manganese aerosols. And they found that manganese was actually taken up by the olfactory nerves and transferred into the brain. Now, it turns out that other species also transfer manganese from the olfactory nerves into the brain, including non-human primates. So with this in mind, I used calculations extrapolating from these mice and rodents to human exposure and found that For example, a child who is exposed to a manganese level in the water that we don't consider terribly toxic, 0.1 milligrams per liter, would, if he or she took a 10-minute shower over 10 years, be exposed to 64% of the same dose that it requires for a rodent to have manganese deposition in their brain. And if you go up to a higher dose, like 0.5 milligrams per liter, that same child over 10 years would be exposed to three times the dose that it caused rats to uptake manganese into the brain. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. I'm talking today with Dr. John Spangler, professor of family medicine at Wake Forest University School of Medicine. We're talking about the effects of manganese, not magnesium, on the brain. Please continue with what you found in your study. We were very concerned about the effect of manganese, particularly among children, because we found that exposure in the shower is not trivial. If manganese exists in higher concentrations than shower water, there's a good chance that the manganese water aerosol that's generated will be taken up by the olfactory system into the brain and deposited in the brain and over time can cause neurologic problems. I would imagine different parts of the country would have higher manganese levels if the water's coming from, you know, a a natural supply where there are a lot of rocks. That's actually true. In in fact, what got me interested in this whole business was a high level of manganese exposure in a community near Raleigh, North Carolina. There had been some highway construction near this community And this particular community was a self-contained community with its own water supply, well supply. They had high levels of manganese. And actually, we found that there were some children that had some impairment from exposure to this manganese level in their water supply. What other nasty things can manganese do? Has it been linked to any cancers? Well, manganese is probably not associated with cancer. There's no proven evidence of that. However, Rats that are exposed to high levels of manganese will develop pancreatic and thyroid tumors, not necessarily cancerous tumors, but certainly neoplasia. There does not seem to be cancer effects in humans. The major effect that occurs in humans is going to be neurologic, and it can actually be quite subtle. 
at lower levels, lower doses, the effect may be simply mild tremor. At very high doses of manganese exposure, you can develop even up to a Parkinson disease-like syndrome called manganism. It's different than Parkinson's, but it has the same rest tremor and bradykinesia, mask-like facies. How would you treat it? I mean, can you chelate manganese? Unfortunately, once the damage is done, the damage is done. Manganese destroys dopamine neurons by oxidation of dopamine accumulation within mitochondria and then apoptosis. So it's basically brain damage. You know, I wonder how many clinicians think of that when they see their their patients with a tremor to even check it. Well, this is a hidden toxin. This is what concerns me so much is that people are exposed. My brother's a radiologist, and manganese shows up in the basal ganglia on MRI, and he sees three or four patients a month with manganese depositions on their basal ganglia on MRI. And that's here in our community, which has a relatively low level of manganese in the water supply, Almost invariably, these patients have liver disease, and they're unable to excrete the manganese from their liver. The thing that pops to my head is that you, Dr. Spangler, should start a side business creating shower head filters. Well, that would be a great idea. Manganese can be filtered. The filtration systems are fairly expensive. You know, in all of these things, you have to measure the risk versus the benefit. But our calculations show that at least 9 million Americans are exposed to levels of manganese that we found could be potentially toxic in humans. And that's not a trivial number, obviously. But at the same time, that number is compared to the 300 million Americans that exist. So how aggressively do you manage manganese levels in water supply, for example, to minimize the exposure to a smaller number in the population. I personally think that manganese should be regulated more tightly. The EPA does not regulate it as a primary water standard, in other words, an enforceable water standard. They have what's called a secondary water standard that's developed mainly for taste and aesthetic reasons. Manganese-laden water smells terrible and tastes pretty bad as well. Well, what kind of tests, if I wanted to order a manganese level, would I just order that through my lab? Is there a free level? Is there a total level? Do you measure it in the morning, in the evening? Give me some sort of help here. Well, the toxicokinetics of manganese are not that well worked out. There are animal data that show different levels based on different exposures. Unfortunately, blood manganese correlates very poorly with total body exposure because it is eliminated from the blood relatively rapidly. Unfortunately, also, the half-life of manganese in the brain is about 230 days. So brain tissue would be a good tissue to sample, but obviously we're not going to do brain biopsies. Probably the best way to determine manganese levels is hair exposure, measuring the amount of manganese in hair Even that's not perfect, but it's probably the best we have. I have two little kids, so should I tell them to start taking shorter showers and when Daddy's filling up the gas tank, get away? Well, you know, we should minimize our exposure to manganese as much as possible. I'm not saying we should take shorter showers. Really, the point of my article was to try to stimulate regulation at the federal and local levels to reduce the amount of manganese that exists in water supplies. 
It also was to raise awareness about the gasoline additive MMT so that the federal government and other agencies would be more aware of the fact that this will be released into the environment and potentially into the water supply. But maybe we should reduce our showers. I don't know for sure. I mean, my study seems to suggest that certainly if you have high levels of manganese in your water, you're going to want to minimize your exposure to that water. There have been studies among infants, for example, that live in households with manganese-laden water and that have high hair manganese levels and also have developed learning disabilities and neurologic dysfunction on fine-motor tasks. So we're not talking about something trivial. This potentially could be something important. Well, Dr. John Spangler, thank you so much for joining us today and teaching us a little bit about manganese. Thank you so much. This was great. I'm Dr. Larry Casco, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thanks for listening.